Comedian Tiffany Haddish is busy. She's acting, producing, but she says she's not just doing it for herself. How much generational wealth are you creating when you get to tell a story and give other people opportunity to tell that story with you? Tiffany Haddish on her power in Hollywood. Listen now to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. For NPR Music, you're connected to All Songs Considered. I'm Bob Boylan. There's new music from Rodrigo Amarante. And today on All Songs Considered, a conversation with this great Brazilian-born, now L.A.-based musician. I'll play songs from Drama, his first solo album in seven years, and one of my very favorite albums of the year. And on this guest DJ show, Rodrigo will pick a few songs that influenced him, and we'll also hear a new collaboration he's done with a living Brazilian legend. But let's settle in and hear a bit from the album Drama and a song called Tanto. to Rodrigo Amarante. He was in his Los Angeles home. I was in my apartment in the Washington, D.C. area. And the conversation began simply talking about life. Sometimes life feels like it's a script that we're influencing with our will. And I feel lucky that way, right? I feel like sometimes I can't believe this is coming through. I've always wanted to do this or, or this and that, right? But... Right before the pandemic, I wished for the world to stop. That was the... the <laughs> it's your fault. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? The world could stop for two weeks. That would be so nice. Everybody freezes and I can just, you know, um, mend my pants and do all these things and like just let everything stop for a second. And I, yeah. in the beginning of the pandemic, the two week was the talk, right? Oh, we'll stop for two weeks. That any anyway, what I was yeah. doing, that's what we yeah. heard. Two weeks, two weeks. And then it feels like the pandemic was like this thing telling me like, 
Well, you think you're going to get all that done in two weeks? I'll give you a year and a half. Let's see what you do. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the pants are still, you know, <laughs> And so very, a lesson was, I, uh, there's a lesson there for me, for sure. And, and when did you start this record? Did you start it pre? Actively, yeah. Actively started recording, writing in 2018. So I had a tour before that, um, actual beginning of recording. And I was playing a bunch of those songs, the new songs on tour, mm -hmm. you know, because it's exciting and because I want to see what happens. Because, you know, it's very common. I'll write a song and I'm here singing and the song sounds like, you know, the bedroom key. I'm singing very low. I'm with my. Then I go on tour. It's like one, two, three, four. Nothing comes across. So, you know, usually they speed up and the key rises and that's what happened. So right when we came back from that tour, November, December of 2018, I booked a studio with Mario Caldato and said, Mario, I want to record the way you, because Mario has been like a great mentor to me, like a good friend and an example to me, but also very generous, like a master in that sense, has no secrets. And he's so, a producer for you? Is he a collaborator? He, he has been a collaborator in many ways. In my record, I'm the producer, but this is a big luxury to have Mario, a Grammy-winning producer, play the part of an engineer, so to speak. But I wanted to do it in his spirit, you know. Everybody's playing in the room, there's no separation, and it's going to tape. So the energy is like, okay, guys, we got four takes for this song. If it sucks by the fourth, we got to play half an hour ping pong and come back and do it again. <laughs> and erase that. So that's how it started. And that was the idea. And that plan had to be scrapped because of the pandemic then i went back into the old the way i did the first solo record which is you know sitting here and kind of like okay and for those who don't know what here is you're in a room where i see a keyboards i see drums stacked up there guitars i see a rack mount of gear this is your living room your studio living room home yeah it's all those things yes. i mean it's the studio my house has a it, the kitchen is the living room because the kitchen is the heart of the house. So yeah. I call the kitchen the living room so I can call the <laughs> living room the studio. <laughs> I want to start at the beginning because when I put this record on, I knew it was called Drama. The opening strings were, in fact, dramatic. But uh, then there's a comedy going on there. And I want to talk about a couple of things here. But let's, let's listen to the opening of Drama.
So I'm going to tell you what I thought when I heard this, and then you tell me if you care to, your intention. So at, at first, dramatic, but then there's obviously an audience watching something that was funny. And I thought they were laughing uh, along with somebody. But then that abrupt ending happened, and then I thought, I think they're laughing at somebody. And I don't know if that has any basis in your brain and to what your intent was, but that's what I felt. Yeah, I have to say it's very interesting to listen to it with you. I don't think I have actively listen to it in the presence of someone and especially you who is very dear to me and who I respect the the, the brains and heart <laughs> yeah. but your feeling is correct um, huh. and what I wanted to create was a juxtaposition that leaves a space in the middle and that to me has to do with memory this whole beginning because of this juxtaposition. There's a third element to it that is quite clear if you know it is there, but if you don't, no one can hear it, which is a person taking a shower. Oh, wow. Yeah, no. If you... Okay. Now, when you hear it again, you hear the sound of an audience waiting, right, first. Yeah. Like, and there's a strange texture to it. It doesn't feel like reality. I put a, a quite a a hard delay on the audience, so it feels there's something heavy about it. It's not just real, but these are subtle things. I don't mean for uh -huh. people to pick it up, but there's that. Then the curtain, you hear the curtain of the shower, but because you hear the audience, you understand that curtain as the curtain of a theater, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it is there. You hear the water, you hear the splashes, the shout, shh. But of course, that gets pushed to the background because in the foreground, there are these two very intense elements. So what I wanted to create was the sense that these things are living in the space of memory. So the feeling, I mean, the music itself has both an ominous, like a warning, like the beginning of a film is what I'm thinking, the beginning of a tale. And these are string arrangements of yours, I take it. Yeah. They come in, the first movement is, is ominous. You're kind of told there's something that's going to happen. Then it falls into kind of a sweeter, la da 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 That's comforting, but you already know something is about to happen. I want to play what happens right after that curtain falls, so to speak, and I'm going to play Made. I'm not a 
And the chorus is saying what? It's saying, um, dream is destiny between reason and faith. Luck is to have love to give. You know, it, it's always painful to translate. I always feel like, oh my God, if this was set, if this was in English, literally what, what I'm saying, it would be so kind of obnoxious and weird. But the song, Mare means tide, right? I'm reflecting in, in terms of, you know, um, reoccurring mistakes that I make or realizing like every, I'm not saying using these words, but every port is both an arrival and a departure. Right. As if I'm, you know, when I arrive, you arrive full of, um, of, of hope, of projection. When I say arrive, when you meet someone you love, when you move somewhere, or when you arrive at a place, um, metaphorically or not, where you're like, oh, I finally got here. There's a lot of positivity and therefore a lot of projection in it. And I f find myself being a victim of that and projecting and in a way making the same mistake so i'm saying in the song oh i'm i'm pulled by a, that riptide again which you know in that context sounds like i'm talking about love and i am the sea takes away the, the ocean takes things yeah, from you it 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 lands things at your feet the tide and oh treasure how lucky i am i've been given and then you know as you look away the same tide will come and take that from you so in a way i'm saying that thing about dream is destiny is that what we're talking about before, which is that we uh, thought is action in that sense, our wishes and our, um, the things we want, even if we don't are not saying them, they shape who we are, where we go and the choices we make. And I'm in the way in this joyous song, acknowledging like in a way I'm walking in circles. I'm so one right before the chorus, I say on the first verse, I say, only, the only thing that's left, I understand it, but I need to feel it. And so in the second part, I say, I feel it. I just need to understand it. So <laughs> all that's left is insisting. That's the, what the song is saying. So in a way, in my mind, I wanted to make an arc, even though I don't, you know, people don't have to, this is just a record with songs, but I have fun in kind of creating this whole thing around it. So this is the first, you know, you hear that introduction, that's the, the drama track with the uh, laughter and stuff, that's the opening credits, where you yeah. can sense something is going to happen. Then you meet the character, and the character is having a good time, is telling him, he's waking up, you know what, that dream was weird, but today is a new day, I'm an idiot, but I'm going to have a good time, and I'm going to tell myself, you know, you, yeah, you're, you're still making the same mistakes, but... You know, the sun is shining. Let me insist. Let me go out. Let me, you know. So this is the joyous moment where you meet the character for the first time and you're impelled to empathize with the character. That's beautiful. When you grew up and listened to music, did you love stories inside of music? Yeah, I really did. I mean, in Brazil, we, like the United States, I think those are the, if I'm not mistaken, those are the, the countries that, consume their own music the most right in brazil oh, we hear we hear I more brazilian yeah <laughs> well the united you know the rest of the world yeah. consumes american music a, a lot but in brazil we consume our music more and there's a tradition of you know songwriting also because of the the period from the, the 60s 70s 80s dictatorship 
um, songs became a, a great um, vehicle for for the things that couldn't be said. So I think that that created this space, you know, the festivals with the songs, a, a space where words are really an important part of, of why you love a song. And so I love the sense of story, the sense of a world, you know, you hear the song and you're taken somewhere. Do you want to give us an example of something that you remember being young and hearing? And In terms of storytelling, there's, um, there's a Gilberto Gil song, Domingo no Parque, which means Sunday at the park. This song is a, an actual story. Like it reads, if you put it on a page, it reads as a story. You know, characters are given names and there's a whole arc. You're presented with them. You, you're told what they're doing and stuff. But the beginning of the song, you're put in a place. There's like folly. And this is uh, from 1968, if you can't already tell from the... Uh, amazing sounds that open up. O rei da brincadeira, o rei da confusão. Um trabalhava na feira, outro na construção. A semana passada, no fim da semana, João resolveu não brigar. No domingo de tarde saiu apressado e não foi pra Ribeira jogar. Capoeira não foi pra lá, pra Ribeira foi namorar. So what's he singing about? Obviously it's pretty joyous. Yeah, but the story is is quite intense. He he starts the song by presenting two characters. José and João. One is the king of joy. The other one is the king of trouble. <laughs> and then he's, he says one works at the farmer's market. The other one is a construction worker. And then he's, he says that the, the troublemaker decided to not go to play capoeira, which is this kind of, you know, Afro-Brazilian... You can really call it a martial art, but it's, you know, a, a dance fight kind of thing, capoeira. Mm -hmm. So he decided to not do that and to go see his girl at the park on Sunday. So that's the beginning of these two getting together. And the way the story unfolds, he starts to use images for the violence. You know, there's the ice cream and there's the rose and the color of the rose, the color of blood. And it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful song, and it's really a universe, you know. And the arrangements very much going with what's happening. I I really like that. Let's hear a little more. <laughs> Não tem mais construção Não tem mais brincadeira Não tem mais Take a little break. Be right back with more from Rodrigo Amarante as he plays guest DJ on All Songs Considered from NPR Music. 
Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Jo shares the unique benefits of therapy. Being in therapy is this very intimate, unique experience to have this other person see you, this other person acknowledge who you are and accept all of it, you know, and like figure out the bits and pieces that you don't want to accept to change that stuff for the better. Even if you're not struggling with something necessarily, but you just want to learn a little bit more about who you are, you want to function a little bit better in your relationships with people or change the way that you approach habits, doing that together with somebody else can be very powerful and impactful to talk this out and process this together as two humans. To get matched with a counselor and get 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com songs. I'm Bob Boylan. I'm talking with Rodrigo Amarante on this week's All Songs Considered. He's playing guest DJ, picking music for us. We were playing a song by Gilberto Gil before the break, and uh, I wanted to know where this fit into his life, and was this music playing around the house? I was born in 76, and so when I was a kid, that was the 80s, like, you know. And so this wasn't really playing on the radio, but it was playing in my house. And in my family's house, because, you know, we're all music lovers. And, you know, in my house, if there was a religious figure with a picture on the wall and sayings underneath, that was John Lennon, not Jesus. My mom was like, you you know, would explain to me what he was singing about, what he did, what he did not. I actually remember, have the memory of my mom being devastated when he was murdered, because I was already, you know, I was very, very young. But I remember... A memory you would have been of five yeah. or six, or? yeah. But that's to say, she is also a music lover. And but my dad was more of a nerd. Like he had like the you know a super hi fi, all the <laughs> records, and heard music really loud, and got to even like do things like he would do the Fender Gibson test with me when I was a kid. <laughs> Pick up the two different guitars and play. No, he would play a or, record. Or identify the. It's like you know, he would say like, Jimmy Page, his sound is compressed, is is mean and muddy, like you know, that's a Gibson sound. Now here, Clapton or Jimi Hendrix, see that's like sparky and and crisp and fiery, you know. So then he would go and play a record like Fender or Gibson. I love that. And I'm like, how, what a, I mean, I thank him for all these kinds of things, but I'm like, what a, what a thing to <laughs> put your kid through, you know? So he would, every Sunday, you better be up early because he would wake up, make coffee and just put a record and blast it, <laughs> you know? And as, you know, we're turning into teenagers and having weekends that were, more late night weekends he would he would just wake everybody up with the you know whatever he was listening to so if i played this song for you which is a song you love gibson or fender That's a 
Okay, Gibson Fender. <laughs> I will say Fender, but there's a trick there. He's using a bit of chorus, so it makes it more shimmery. Uh-huh. I'm going to guess Fender. And the he here is Johnny Marr, and the band is the Smiths. And when did you first hear this charming man? I know you love this song. Was it, was it a song that changed your life in many ways? Yes. I was a surfer. I still am. But I was like, huh. surf, surfing was really the thing. Surfing and jiu-jitsu were the things I did the most when I was 8, 9, 10, 11, till, till I was, I don't know, 15 or 16. But surfing definitely every day. And so there was a TV show at the time in the 80s. This must have been like 87 or something. And the intro to the surfing, the theme was an instrumental, a Smith's instrumental. That sound, I love that sound. And so I went to a friend's house who used to surf with me, and he's like, I, ha- I got this record. And, you know, I was like, oh, my God, let's hear it. So we're set to hear it together, and it blew my mind. I was like, what is this guy singing about? I was very intrigued. But the other thing that blew my mind, because I was already, I, was, I played piano, and I wanted to learn the guitar. And I kind of, you know, my, there was a guitar in my house. My dad plays the guitar. My mom had a guitar too, and so he would let me play my mom's guitar, not my, not his guitar. <laughs> but when I heard that, I was like, "Wow, this is not what I understood the guitar is supposed to do." You know, when you're singing a song, instead yeah. of playing the chords, he's going and then Morrissey starts singing, and he keeps going, and there's a counterpoint, and so that's like two stories being told. Of course, at the time, I had no clue of what Morrissey was singing, and that prompted me to ask my dad to put in in an English course after school. There's a British-English... It didn't even occur to me, so you didn't speak English at the point. This You're probably about 13 years old now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. And so okay. I was like, you know what? I have to know what these people are saying in this language. There's way too much happening, and I felt like I know that what this guy is saying is going to resonate. And so I started studying English because of that, because of the Smiths at first. And so, and then I picked up the guitar. I was like, let me try to play what Johnny Marr is playing. And I really couldn't. I was like, I realized, well. There's a lot of of guitars going on there too, right? It's not just a single. Right. But I was like, oh, I can't sing and play this stuff. But it just sent me into this like understanding that the guitar was, it doesn't have to just be accompaniment, like, you know, chords being strummed while someone is singing. It sounds like a dumb thing to say now, but in my kid brain, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, the bass is jumping around, the guitar is jumping around, the singer is, like, going crazy, and it all it's, sounds so good to me. It's, like, busy and joyful, and it really... 
sent me into this kind of whole worship of wh whatever was happening in that scene, you know, and then it, all the other bands from that time, from that space. And this is parallel with like me playing Bossa Nova, you know, learning Caetano Veloso songs, which are, you know, complicated to the outside um, ear, but yeah. in Brazilian folk music, that's kind of the standard, you know, like really weird chords and so it was the two sides of my my passion so in, in this song marcy's singing an awful lot about himself and vanity and stuff like that when you write your words and write about your stories do you find yourself thinking about well masculinity is certainly a big part of this song and and marcy and i mean it, it has become unintentionally a theme of this record too a lot of theme but something that i was i find myself forced to look at with this record because which is what because the well my my initial intention was to make a record that was drier so to speak more focused on rhythm and melody rather than harmony and modulations and you know things that convey feeling and i had that set and i was writing songs there were a bit more like Mare and other ones that made into the record. But as I was writing, I felt imp like, you know, I was, I wanted to write stuff like Tara or um, Sky Beneath or songs that are m really more emotional and to sing my confusion, vul vulnerability and stuff. And so as I watched myself doing that, I was forced to ask myself, why did I want to make a record like that? Why that intention to dry up, to cool down or whatever and as i was writing that string intro which is just an exercise i thought like oh let me try to write that you know a string thing that i was sent to this memory of turning from a boy to a man i was sent mm -hmm. to this to the thought of what mechanisms i use to pretend to grow up to become a man in particularly and this word drama that's why the record became drama is signified the pejorative of emotion to me as a kid it was what i had to get rid of to become a man the fallacy of that you know like men are rational and therefore is able to control his emotions and efficiency comes from that that fallacy that spills over the notion that of women they're inefficient because they're susceptible to emotion that's the fallacy right that's what right and is that coming from your your dad i mean i'm not going to blame or, my or dad the culture it's come it large. comes from society yeah you know tv yeah. and films i mean go watch you know films from the 80s like music videos you know women are yeah. there as just right. bodies and it's all about the man and so i'm not going to blame my dad for that sure. um but you know he's my dad so he represents that masculinity in that sense and he very much so um echoed that thing about not being dramatic i suppose i don't I can't go back and know what i was but you know i had to shave my head i had to become a little bit uglier a little bit less sweet i had to impose myself and all these things so i related my intention to that and decided to change course and write these things these you know and embrace these things so what the exercise became, and that I found useful to me because I, I, I could hear music in it. Instead of chasing my own tail to in search for like 
a pure expression or my voice. I found way more interesting and musical to actually search for these masks I invented to become an adult. So the theater and that transition and the echoes of that, there are my voice. I started to think my voice is an echo of all these voices. It's much more, I think, valid or, or useful or funny to go back and revisit and, pick and, and not pretend these masks aren't here. And so put them on and write from that. What should I play off the record that might be... Uh... So you could play Tara for that emotion. <laughs> Tara, meu engano Não havia outro plano Nosso amor que era novo Não chegou a ver tanto Mal sabia hum, Teu apelo, o meu abalo Nosso amor que era carne Cresceu fraco do osso Quem diria Morre moço Um amor sem cuidado Está marcado Não havia outro lado Nosso amor que era ferro Não chegou a ver fogo E bastaria hum, Tua cena deletério Quando nada é tão sério Quase tudo é piada Me diz Qual a graça Ver o circo em chamas Se quando amas Feres fundo Um amor Sem cuidado Está marcado And you're singing about So I With this one, I tried to tell the story with the music to kind of try to show the arc of what I'm singing with the music. And this song is about disillusion. It's about, it's me saying what I was attached to in a, in a given relationship that, that wasn't fulfilled. 
And so I'm really kind of going over that arc of falling in love, trying to be cool and realizing I was one-sided and not seeing something else. Mm -hmm. So the arrangement, again, this is not important to, not necessary to hear, but I start with the sound of arrival or falling in love or finding something. La, you know, the, the strings come in, there's the sound of birds in the early morning in the tropical setting. And then I fall into that moment after that, which is the coolness, like, okay, I fell in love, but I got to keep cool, you know? And so, <laughs> you know, upright bass and, you know, the guitar waits a little bit to come in. And, and then you hear that saxophone, tenor saxophone, much like the Stan Getz kind of sound when he was doing the bossa nova stuff and as i'm getting to the point of it and on the chorus you hear this brass muted horn section that's actually going back to the 40s or something and they sound almost like mocking that initial feeling they go so it's the the feeling of you know when you can feel things are not the way you projected you're forced to remember that blindness and that super projection of falling in love that the beginning of the song shows and this arc of you know again a little bit of th theater you know we feel things and then we create this whole fantasy around it because it makes us flow and feel and write songs <laughs> but then uh, you know things don't always um, turn out the way we planned. <laughs> do you find it helpful to do that? To, I mean, it's one thing to make something for somebody else to think about their life and their world and how it connects to the song. As the person who is, I'll say, getting it out of their system, are you getting it out of your system? Are you working through the relationship? Is it, when done, is it helpful and, and then you've got to sing it on tour for 120 dates or whatever. Yeah. whatever. How is that? I, I, that's a blessing. I mean, I feel okay. that's probably the reason why I throw so many songs away is that I have to feel that it's a tool for me. Like huh. writing as an exercise of discovery. Like if I feel I've discovered something or came to terms with something or I have a glimpse of something that I didn't before because I'm writing about it. That's a tool for me. And so I have the feeling that it could be a tool for someone else in a different way, you know? Mm -hmm. But just that feeling, sometimes I, I'm, I'm aware a song is like maybe not technically so good or, oh, it doesn't have, it doesn't dry or whatever it is that rationally one thinks a good song is a good song, but there's something there for me that I feel like, oh, that's I, that that served me. So I'm gonna put it on the record, and people can, you know, hate it or love it. I don't care. But I do feel like that there has to be a, an exercise of discovery, and then I, if I feel that way, then then I push through and, and go with it. And it's a blessing to be able to sing to dump this stuff on on other people. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. It, it is a long time between. Your record, was it 2013 that your first, I'll call it solo, record came out? And then this, uh, not to say that you haven't been doing anything because you've been a busy guy, but yeah, do you prefer uh, to work with other people? And is is working alone more difficult? 
or am I just projecting something on the fact that there are just only two Rodrigo Amarante records in like seven, eight years? Working with other people is much easier. When uh, I have plenty of examples of that, like, you know, the, the two songs I wrote with Nora Jones. Pre-pandemic? Yeah, it was pre-pandemic. All right, yeah. But, you know, she called me up. She's like, oh, let's write some songs together. I was like, okay. She came over. We wrote two songs in a day, finished the lyrics the next day, <laughs> and recorded the day. So in three days, we wrote two songs, recorded, and released a week after that. Wow. And then there are certainly, I mean, on this record, I don't know who these all these musicians are, but you're working with these amazing horn players and string players and percussionists. Yeah, I, I did play most of. Wait a minute! <laughs> of oh. everything. Really? Are yeah. You well, playing, I had. Are you, Danny. Playing, are you on the sax? Well, yes. Nice work, buddy. Well, <laughs> I, so I, I had okay. David Ralicky play most of the sax of the horn arrangements. He plays trombone, trumpet. Uh, tenor, he plays everything. So he came here, I wrote the arrangements, and he played them and did a, f a few solos. And he's amazing. But I wrote those arrangements. The string's the same. I wrote the arrangements, sent out to Denny Benzi, who recorded everything in his studio, sent it back to me. I see. I had Andres, Andres Renteria, who's the, the guy who's been playing with me, plays percussion, congas most of the time. So he played congas on four songs in the live sessions, came back to play one more. Then I had a buddy from Brazil who visited. I had him play a, a bunch of different percussion instruments. But, I mean, I don't mean to say, oh, it's all me. No, these people, you know, Cornelia Murr played synthesizers and sang a bunch of harmonies. Paul Taylor on drums for the four songs of the sessions plus one. But I, you know, once the pandemic hit, I had to do, I had to, you know, play all the, the pianos, all the guitars, uh, a bunch wow. of percussion, uh, drums, there's a song that's that's just me because it was already the pandemic. It's called Eu Com Você. That's just me. And that's why it doesn't sound <laughs> as good as David or, and Paul and all that. But, you know, I had to do it. That's one of the reasons why it took a little bit longer because, you know, instead of going to the studio rehearsed, I had to play the, the upper body of the drum kit, then play wow. the lower body of the drum kit. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I'm going to listen to the record in a whole new light. I love it. So during pandemic, you're doing this record, but you, you also did a collaboration uh, with an artist I don't know, but from what I understand from you, she's a legend, Gal Costa. Yeah. Um, tell me about this song. We'll go out on that. So Gal is, you know, one of the most important interpreters in Brazilian music. She, you know, Caetano Veloso's first record is split with her. It's Gal and Caetano. The record is called Domingo. And it's one of the most beautiful records uh, in Brazilian history. One of my favorite records of all time. And she has made incredible records, incredible records all throughout. She was like an amazing, um, far out, made crazy, uh, interesting records in the late 60s, 70s, 80s. She was a hit maker. She's incredible. And I never met her. But I got a phone call from her musical director saying oh gal wants to do a song with you she wants she was doing this record wow. where she's revisiting her catalog and said she wants you to pick a song and record it and just send it to us and she will sing on it that was you know like a, a medal to me and so i was like oh my god so i went back to this first record that she did 
which is pretty much a bossa nova record. They were, you know, this is 1964, maybe. And so Caetano and, and that crowd, they were already writing the Tropicalia stuff, but this is their last leg of worshipping that which blew everybody's mind. Because Bossa Nova is like now, to all of us, elevator music. Like, not all of us, but you know what I'm saying? It's smooth yeah. and sweet. But the interesting thing to know is that when it came out, it was punk. It's hard to see that. But because the melodies were so full of accidents, notes outside of the, of the scale especially because the first song that was a hit was called Desafinado, which means out of tune. People would hear it on the radio and think, this guy's out of tune, I can't believe, because they were led to think that that was like, and so it was really punk and changed everything. Okay, so, so she asked me and I was like, oh my God, great. So I just played everything except for the strings, which were recorded in Brazil, but I played everything here in this room that you, Bob, can see. <laughs> and it was such a joy and I could, so I did the song from that period, but as if the arrangement was done much later. What song did, was it? It's called Avarandado. Which means? Ah, that means, it's, okay. it's a strange word. Varanda means balcony and Avarandado would mean, how do you translate that? Something that is, is put out to be seen. It, the story of the song is is the story of someone walking and seeing all these characters in the balconies and he's thinking uh-huh. about his girlfriend and projecting onto which one it is and it's a beautiful beautiful song uh-huh. so i recorded that really recently and and it came out became the first single of that gal costa record i'm super honored and stoked to have done that that's beautiful let's go out on that but everybody should give a listen to drama it's a just a sensational. Now I know more about how it was put together. I, I love it even even more. I have a new appreciation of it. Thank you, my friend. Oh, thank, thank you, you Bob. What a pleasure to talk to you. This is clearly not enough for us to catch up. I <laughs> I'm also very honored and to be here talking to you about this. Love you, buddy. Love Take you. Take care. You too. Rodrigo Amarante. His great new album is called Drama. We're listening now to his song and collaboration with Gal Costa. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's All Songs Considered. Vamos a 
Amanhecer 